Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I say count. You do say, Dan. Well, I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but I say the annuals don't count. You do say that week in and week out. Just like we say, welcome to you, the listeners at home, to our wonderful show, The Amazing Spider Talk. It is not The Amazing Spider Talk annual, though I certainly think that those episodes of our show count as well. But it is the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. What's new? Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 91, entitled Beyond, Chapter 17. This issue was written by Kelly Thompson, with pencils from Sarah Pacelli and Fran Galan, inks by Sarah Pacelli, colors by Brian Reber, a cover by Arthur Adams and Alejandro Sanchez Rodriguez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on March 2nd, 2022. Dan, this was quite the issue. I want to hear a summary of it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I worked Tell me very what I hard. just read, Dan. What did I just read? <laughs> <laughs> I worked really hard on this summary, Mark. I'm pretty sure I've summarized what happened. And man, if your reading of this issue was different than what I've written here, I don't blame you at all. I guess I wouldn't really argue with your interpretation over mine. So here we go, Mark. My attempt at summarizing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 91. On Staten Island, Peter and Ben continue their assault on Beyond Supervillain Factory, which doesn't seem to actually house supervillains but strange cartoon characters and other comical combinations of boxing chickens, living snowmen, robot spiders, land sharks, and squid-headed people. But Ben can't really handle it and begins to have a psychological breakdown. 
Peter handles the threat by webbing it all up, while Ben begins to see facelessness in Peter and his own mask. Back at Beyond Tower, Maxine pulls a cabin in the woods and orders all the doors open to release all the horrors of the facility on the Spider-Men, except she's careful not to have the mysterious Door Z open. You remember Door Z, right? From that one random Miles Morales comic? Now that's synergy. Back in the fifth borough, Ben clears his head and saves Peter from some replicating creature, but his mental state isn't all cleared. He falls apart again as they go deeper into the facility. But lucky enough for both the story and the reader, Colleen Wing drives a beyond car through the window and saves the day. Hooray! Everyone loves Colleen Wing and Misty Knight. The two banter about cars and holes in the ceiling while they help the Spider-Men battle a horde of manufactured villains. Then, after a significant art change, we join Janine at the Star Motel in New Jersey. You know the one. She's growing worried about Ben, who she hasn't heard from, so she grabs her jacket and heads out to find him. Let's hope the Staten Island Ferry is running on time. Speaking of, back on Staten Island, Ben gets to the control panel for Door Z. Maxine gets through to him and begs him to come back into Beyond. She threatens to open Door Z, but he calls her bluff and opens it himself. Then Ben just abandons everyone, leaving them alone with whatever the threat is behind Door Z. That's when a giant version of the lizard makes itself known. Paler in complexion and sprouting wings from his back, a sort of giant lizard Morbius hybrid, Peter stands in disbelief over what Beyond has likely done to quote Connors end quote. But wait, Weren't the Lizard and Connor's separate personalities split by the end of Nick Spencer's run? Wait, stop. Dan, you know you shouldn't care about the status quo of the Lizard. The editors stopped caring over a decade ago. And that, my friends, is Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 91, as interpreted by me, Dapper Dan Kavastin. Boop! <laughs> Oh, I, I hope we recorded that, and uh, we can play that every time we finish one of these. Uh, Mark, how'd I do? I mean, you described what I also thought I read, so I guess we can have a conversation about this comic aligned so that we read the same thing. That 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 was something that happened. It, it, it didn't necessarily feel aligned with the previous few chapters that we got out of beyond. I mean, like, let's be, let's be real here, Dan. I mean, like we, we quite enjoyed where the beyond story was headed. And when we last left things, it was kind of, things were coming to a fever pitch, you know, it was let's, let's be brothers. Brothers don't shake hands. They hug and fight villains together. They set off into action. And then this, this story came about and it just felt like a dramatic shift of everything. Um, I, what, what, where, where, we, where would you even go in terms of how to kick off this conversation, Dan? I mean, I'm going to start at the very beginning, which I have to admit, I was kind of thrown for a little bit of a loop at the start, even as they're kind of like Peter and Ben are kind of already neck deep inside of the facility on Staten Island. And, you know, the last we had seen them, they kind of teamed up with each other and, we're like partnered up to do some damage and we don't have them approaching the facility. 
We don't really have all of the things that I think would like kind of naturally kick this off. They're just kind of in the midst of doing this thing. And for all of the gravity built up around like what seemed to me to be sort of a kind of like hail Mary, almost suicide run. All of that gravity is gone. Like even just from the very start, you know, it's just kind of like very low stakes, silly. I, I don't know, Mark. I thought that this was just kind of an outright bad comic that does everything it can to highlight the downside of the rotating team of creators. Like this is like, to me at least a sign of editorial, not being able to kind of like shape this thing, you know, even I guess like reading the previous Kelly Thompson issues, this feels like a sequel to that rather than what the other creative teams have been doing on this book. Yeah. And and that's just strange to me. I mean, like, Okay, you know, our our basis of comparison, especially when it comes to the world of Spider-Man, of course, is Brand New Day in terms of how to deal with rotating creator casts coming in and out and on and off a book. You know, say what you will about Brand New Day. We're fans. Come at me, bro. You know, even <laughs> with <laughs> even with the different like creators, like you, you, I mean, like, okay, I could, I could tell the difference between like, say a Dan Slott issue and a Mark Wade issue, but not like in dramatic ways and in subtle ways. Like, like there was, there was clearly a writer's room mentality, meaning all the writers were in the same room or in the same virtual room, however they wanted to do it going, you know, throwing ideas back and forth and creating a cohesive plot. And it, and it was just that different creators took different chapters of that book and told it going uh, going forward. Apparently that's supposedly what happened here with beyond, but this, this does not read anything like anything that preceded it outside of, like you said, the other Kelly Thompson issues, you know, considering where we were, you know, you had kind of Zeb Wells and Gleason and Jed McKay kind of, you know, trading off. And it seems like they were cohesive, like that, that, you know, each chapter was flowing into the next. So to kind of just come at this out of nowhere, doing like bad Deadpool humor, like completely cheapening the stakes, you know, we won't even get into the art until later because that is a disaster in its own right in terms of trying to rotate in and out and, and working with someone like Pacelli who just clearly can't handle the deadlines. You're undermining, you're undermining your story. And frankly, you're taking a creator who, you know, Marvel allegedly has a lot of faith and hope in and Thompson and, and it's making her come across in a bad light because like this was, this was a tonally, this was a book that was meant to be funny and it just wasn't. These were just dumb jokes. Like, I did not laugh at this. Like, seeing Spider-Man and Ben fight a chicken and little critters that multiplied while Ben puked in a garbage can is not funny to me. Like, this is, like, really juvenile, stupid humor. And this is what we got out of this. And, like, it's like you said, it's just a disappointing example of where the rotating cast of creators can go awry. Like, the, like the, was this was this book written six months ago? unconnected from anything else because it's it felt like it yeah i mean like let's just take a look at the uh how beyond is portrayed right in both of the art like story arcs if you will of kelly thompson's they're they're really the beyond from next wave agents of hate which is this kind of satirical take on the marvel universe with like silly inventions and you know the kind of things like that like the character of like starro 
exists in, you know, like just kind of the more like silly side of superhero comics. But I don't think any other writing team has handled beyond in that fashion, you know, to go from the, you know, queen goblin to these villains, it it couldn't be more stark, you know, and we're supposed to buy into the threat that the soup, the super villain manufacturing plant is, is supposed to provide us, you know, and we've gotten some threats, you know, uh, prior to this that we were supposed to buy into. I mean, even like say, bring the UFOs back for, for this fight, you know, that would have been more dramatically kind of apt, I would think. Kelly Thompson clearly has this different version of beyond than what kind of everybody else is seeing. It, it, you know, allows for her to do like silly things. I mean, I guess some people have done the, you know, Cody Ziegler did the talking sandwiches, but none of the kind of what I would consider the a listers on this book, which I would say is like Wells Gleason and McKay are dipping into that stuff. And whether that's because they, they chose not to, but it's still a part of beyond. I, I don't know to like to, to have them build up the gravity of beyond and then have here, it just kind of be like this, like almost joke. It, it's like, are these people reading each other's books? It, it, it It's very odd to me. And, and really the question is it shouldn't matter if they're reading each other's books. I mean, that certainly would be helpful, but it should be up to editorial to shape these things and make them feel like a cohesive whole, which it definitely doesn't wh- whether it's characterization uh, story plotting and like you've been saying tone yeah i mean for me if kelly thompson wanted to write a spider-man story like this then you know and she convinced marvel to let her then it should have been like a miniseries or or a b-book or something like this like you don't take the main book that's going in one direction and then just completely derail the narrative to bring in this like completely like you said completely different style and tone that that it just clashes in so many inherent ways like i i i mean it's it it was confounding dan like this was and 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 not to mention like you know we 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 joked in the intro about your summary but like like this didn't even read clear clearly to me i mean they're on quote-unquote staten island like but what what you know what about it was like you know it it was like you know it's like the civil war uh airport scene it's like such it's like generic like background with these like crazy crazy characters in the midst of it but like it's none it's all meaningless it's all like jibber jabber like what are we talking about here like like there was no cohesion and even just how the story itself was being told not to mention how it was cohesive with anything else that preceded it in this arc yeah, I don't know if it was the art or what, but like I'm reading words on the page, like especially around the kind of geography of this scene, had me very confused. And, you know, like this car is coming through the ceiling, but then like they want to web it up. And I don't really know why I should care about that. And we've got the repeated beats of like Ben, like suffering at the hands of this uh, mind wipe. But then like Peter, t- you know, covers for him. But then they move like five, you know, like steps down the hall. And then he suffers from it again. So you're like repeating the same beat just a couple pages later. You have these like big buildups for jokes that don't really pay off. Like we spent three pages of this issue on the opening of door Z and the kind of like stalled reveal of this lizard thing. And it's like going for a joke there, but like it's not a strong enough joke to spend three pages on. And I don't know, it's just like very little of it clicked. And 
whether that's the art combined with the the words or whatever, but like there was this real confusion here between the words and the pictures and how everything fit together. And I mean, no, I don't think anybody looks good coming out of this issue. You know, like this is this is going to be a weird thing to say, but like I really feel bad for Ben and how he's depicted here because like, you know, like, you know, you get the sense that, you know, this character is at this major inflection point in terms of, you know, his his memory is disintegrating and he's kind of in a panic about it. And again, like, I feel like this comic kind of plays it for cheap laughs instead of for the tragedy that's unfolding here. I mean, like, clearly this character is losing himself and, you know, we, you know, thanks to the power of solicitations that we, we know that, you know, this is headed towards a conflict of some sorts between Ben and Peter because of what's happening here. We've so been putting kind of, a lot of weight on that cover. <laughs> I, well, but they also said that this this comic, what was it? It will traumatize you it or will whatever traumatize the traumatize you. Yeah. No, yeah. No, nothing. I think even Patton Oswalt was making fun of that on Twitter that like yeah. there's there's no there's no better way to sell a comic than suggesting it's going to traumatize you. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe maybe I'm overstating the conflict, Dan. But the point being, like, again, based on the storytelling that preceded it, that this whole situation with Ben should be treated as glibly as it was here. Like, again, it's just cheapening the stakes. Like, what do we, you know, why? Like, if we're making making fun of basically making fun of the fact that Ben is losing his mind, then what's then why should I care? You know, like I keep going back to the the barf joke. It's like. You know, the, the character is so, so losing himself so badly that he, he needs to vomit. And it's like, oh, you're barfing because they're so cute. And it's like, huh? like, what is this? <laughs> the, the bigger thing for me was when he just kind of flat out abandoned them at the end, because like psychologically, I have no idea what was behind that decision. It just seems like very much there to create conflict when we praise the previous issue for actually handling the Ben stuff like really well, that we were like pleased that even if it was going to come to a conflict, he seemed to be, you know, trying to do the best with what he had and was knowledgeable about the bad situation that he was in. And here, none of that characterization really seems present. He just seems to be kind of acting in the moment, which maybe he's degraded further but the comic doesn't offer me any insight into that. He just seems like a jerk that's kind of abandoning them. I mean, it, I guess it is kind of consistent with him abandoning MJ, you know, back with uh, Queen Goblin. But that was played as like a truly dramatic choice and moment that he then reflected on. And maybe we'll get some of that in the next issue. But I don't I don't know. I, I just didn't really get that moment. There's all this discussion about the roof coming in and him opening this door and I just didn't get the stakes of, of like what all that meant. I will add that, you know, I do hope when this is all said and done that Kelly Thompson gets that daughters of the dragon series. She so clearly wants to write, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, and, and they can move on from the world of the Spider-Man comics. Cause you know, still don't care. Sorry. <laughs> still don't care about Colleen and Misty. Yeah. And we want to talk a little bit about the slack maybe. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about the slack, Mark. 
Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I hang out there all the time, and while I haven't seen it yet, everybody on the Slack is talking in our spoilers channel about The Batman. So if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community that also loves all kinds of superhero comics and discusses everything under the sun, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. And once you are there, be sure to let us know what you think of this new episode that you just listened to. Are we right about our thoughts on issue 91? I can't imagine anyone disagreeing with us on this one. I mean, you know, at least it didn't take three hours to read issue 91 like it is to watch the Batman dance. <laughs> Boy, you're, you're talking to me about that. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right, let's get anyway. back to issue 91 because uh, I want to talk about the lizard because yes. who can keep up with the lizard status quo? I, I Clearly think we need one of your flow editors. charts. We need one of your flow charts, Dan. Oh, my gosh. I mean, like, okay, yeah, she's not made of brain material anymore. He's not split into two people anymore, unless there's some serious retcon that we're going to get in the next issue, because Spider-Man was there when he was split into two people, right? The lizard and Connors. And yet he calls the giant lizard that he sees here Connors, whether that's a slip of the tongue or what. I I guess I'm going to put my money here and say, like, I bet that Kelly Thompson just doesn't know that they're two different people. And editorial didn't catch it or isn't paying attention. Or maybe there's a new person in the office that just doesn't remember that detail from the Nick Spencer run. And like, granted, you and I have forgotten that detail because why invest in the lizard? Because he's only going to be forgotten what his current status quo is because that's been the history of the character. I find this kind of thing a little bit infuriating because like as much as it is, I mean, I would say it's not my job. To, to catch these things or, or to keep up with the lizard. I mean, it is a little bit Mark, right? We do this podcast, but it's not nearly as much my job to catch these things as it is the people making these comics. Beautifully said, Dan. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know what I can add as an exclamation point to any of that. I mean, like I, I've, I have frankly have lost track and you're doing a better more astute job than I am of keeping track. But like, that's the thing, like, does it even matter anymore? Because it's, it's, you know, it just feels like whoever, whoever the writer de jour is on the book just creates their own status quo for the lizard. And that's, and that's that. And, and we just have to kind of roll with it. So I I don't know, like I would think for one of the, the legacy Dicko Lee characters that that there would be um, a little more attention paid, but that's, that's, clearly not the case and there was a part of me that when you know considering what preceded the lizard in terms of the staten island villains i was like okay i mean like this does kind of feel like a a big boss battle at least so like you know it's probably the first thing to come out of the beyond factory you know villain factory that feels truly threatening and ominous but like like you said it's undone by the fact that it's like Wait now, what's the status quo? Who am I? What, am I, what, what about it? You know, so like you know, like yeah, maybe taking 
the lizard and Morbius and, and, you know, kind of hybrid the characters could be like, I don't want to say interesting, but it, it demonstrates the maliciousness of, of beyond uh, in, in an effective way. But like, it's like I said, it's just undone by the fact that we don't actually, it, it just seems to ignore prior continuity. So what, 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 what are we actually caring about here? I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it, it's one thing for it to ignore prior continuity if it's like something that's like obscure and buried, you know, like, but this was just what 20 issues ago, like that, that we had the status quo of the lizard uh, being separate from Connors. I mean, again, like the next issue could come out and make fools of us here. Right. Which is to say like, they're going to show us how the lizard and Connors were rejoined by the isotopic genome accelerator turned on reverse. Then they were combined again with this, Morbius arm, which I imagine is why he's illustrated to be so pale and have wings, right? Like it's clearly like they use the piece of Morbius from the last Kelly Thompson stories to, to produce this thing. It would be stronger if they're like, if they did do this to Connors, right? Like if there's a human element to it, the monsterness of beyond gets increased versus if they just found a giant lizard in the sewers and we're like, let's experiment on it with this piece of the Morbius torso. I don't think there would be quite the tragic element to it. But, you know, it, at the at the stake of like killing continuity again for the lizard. eh, you know, like and and I hate getting worked up about this because like even Dan Slott forgot his own continuity for the lizard. Again, it's not my job to keep track of this stuff. And it is frustrating to have to actively think about it. All right, let's talk a little bit about the art, Dan, because, you know, and let me preface this by saying I love Sarah Pacelli. I really do. I think she's a great artist, but I, I, I didn't love her work on her her prior issue of Beyond that she did. And this one just felt like a mess, like, you know, and, and not to mention that, as you astutely mentioned in your in your narrative, uh, in your in your synopsis, that you know, the, there's a, a, a sudden shift in, you know, visual style, you know, about halfway through when, you know, we bring in a second artist, uh, you know, Fran Galan to kind of fill in here. And, you know, it kind of a speaks to the fact that, I mean, you know, yes, Sarah Pacelli is very talented, but is notorious for being a meticulous worker is maybe the kind way to putting it, you know, not not known for her speed. So it, it just kind of like, you know, again, talking about editorial and setting expectations. I mean, like, you know, as good as she is, why put someone like her on a book that is being churned out on a weekly basis, basically at this point? You're setting the artist up for failure. And, you know, I, I think it's making the work that she does execute on look sloppier than we know she can do. And then you have another artist have to come in and fill in. And then it, it just breaks the style of the book even more. And, and it creates a, an, un, an unsavory visual experience in addition to whatever the heck we got with the, with the narrative in this story. So, I mean, it was just, it was just a disappointment all around in terms of how the art came across. Like, I don't really, I, there was really nothing here that made me want to be like, oh, well, you know, but at least the art was okay. You know, like it was pretty, pretty bad and rough throughout. Don't you think? Yeah. I, I think I've just kind of like seen her bag of tricks enough. Like, I don't think the layouts are terribly exciting. 
I don't think vi- like visually she you know showcased any kind of like flair for you know establishing these scenes or creating a dynamic looking action sequence. Some of the characters' faces are really rough, especially when it comes to like the daughters of the dragon. Janine, I don't recognize it at at all. Although I guess she didn't really do that sequence. Although I think maybe she inked it. I'm not, I'm not really all that sure. Either way, it doesn't look like the character that we've been seeing the last 17 issues or whatever it's been. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the the Janine lookbook is not very well established in this series. You know, she also like English is her second language. So like something like doing like these kind of comedy gags, maybe there's something lost in translation that makes it hard for her to like set them up. But there, the, the visual flair of like pulling off like a one two punch like this, I just... I don't really think that she really like helped that a lot of these jokes in here. I mean, there are some silly looking designs for sure. Like uh, the chicken with boxing gloves or the squid headed person. It's not that they're like completely unattractive. There's not a lot of groundedness to this. I don't know. I mean, it's again, tonally, all of this is just very silly and you know, she clearly was kind of drawing this as the like buddy comedy, but even then, on a book about clones, there's a lot of panels where they're in like silhouette. And so it's hard to tell who is talking when. And I don't think Thompson's writing for them is really all that distinct enough to make me understand like this very clearly, you know, about like what each character is talking about and based on the visuals alone. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a fail. I just it's, it seems rushed and not rushed at the same time. I wouldn't call it a fail, but there's nothing nothing in the art that saves this book from, I think, the inevitable poor grade it's going to get. You know what I mean? Like we've had we've had a few instances during Beyond and beforehand where you know we were frustrated with the story, but we were like, hey, but at least we had got some good art. And like to me, there was nothing here that like t- stood out to me as like a salvation for this comic. Yeah. And I mean, really, this comic, I think, is like killed on another level just by like where it's placed in the story. You know, like if if this was like in the beginning, it would have been more kind of like forgivable. You know, we had issues like this, I think, like three or four issues in a row where we were like, eh, I'm not really digging beyond and like it's spinning its wheels. But, you know, we're still early on. But like having this be like part one of the final two, like three chapters of this book. And if you look at the solicit for the next issue, it's like, again, a dozen creators working on it. Even Kelly Thompson is being replaced like halfway through by Jed McKay. So it suggests to me that like, whether they're giving these creators too many books to handle at any given point in time, there is like kind of slap dash, throw it together from all the different cooks as we've reached the end of this run here. And I think that was our fear, like with editorial at the beginning is like, hey, maybe they had some lead time on the first few issues to really make them sing. But after that, it seems like they really were kind of cobbling this together. And I I have faith in Zeb Wells pulling off the end of this, but it seems almost like divorced from any assistance that editorial is giving them other than maybe like an extended page count. All right. Do we want to give some grades here, Dan? Yeah, I'm giving this one. Uh, I can't really decide between like a D minus or a D. I'm going to go D minus if that helps. <laughs> All right. Then, then I'm going to land squarely D minus on this one. 
Wonderful time, Dan. It's been a moment. Why don't you get us into the closing stretch here? Yeah, sure. You know, if you find this show entertaining and valuable, you know, more than I guess like a D minus, uh, please consider supporting us. You know, one of the big things we could use help on is recommending our show to your friends or other people that, you know, love comics or Spider-Man comics. Uh, we think you've got a little bit of everything for everybody. And if you're able, why not become a member on our Patreon? We can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. Uh, we're constantly making exclusive content for our members. Yes, we are, Mark. You go to your comic book shop, you got $3.99 exactly in your pocket, and you look at one of the books on the wall and you're like, I'm not really digging this. But you know, I do love those amazing Spider Talk guys. You know, for $3.99, the price of that new comic you can put it towards a month's subscription to support our show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcasts on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the very same week that they come out instead of waiting for them to arrive in our public podcasting feed about the time that they pop up on Marvel Unlimited. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. But as we always say, you know, if it's a hard time for you financially, we don't want anybody supporting us and hurting themselves. It's a hard time out there for everybody. Gas prices going up, the world in chaos. So we totally get it. But if supporting your favorite Spider-Man show does bring you some joy, it'll also help us out to continue doing these shows. So you can sign up by clicking on the link in the description of this podcast. You know, in the show notes, you can find all you need to go check out our Patreon. Just go browse around, see if anything appeals to you and sign on up for our helping out our show on Patreon. And one last thing, you know, a thank you again to all the members of our Patreon who already make our show possible. Excellent, Dan. Well, it is that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. And as always, our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. So, Mark, until we both decide to go to Staten Island, which is something I cannot imagine happening in our lifetimes, <laughs> what's our motto? Of course, Dan, it is. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next in